was a cold and loveless scene at the place called the skull where they crucified Jesus. The crosses were raised and then wedged into place and so the watch began. And those Roman soldiers who had been assigned to this execution detail had likely long since grown calloused to the sheer brutality of this particular form of execution. The welfare of these three men whom they had been assigned to watch was the least of their cares. And they set about occupying their time by gambling over the garments of those on the cross as they watched. To add insult to injury, almost all who were there, the soldiers, the Jewish leaders, passers-by, even these two criminals who were crucified on either side of him, hurled their insults at Jesus and mocked him. It was commonplace for those who were being crucified to shout down from the cross in their pain and anger curses against their executioners, against those spectators who came to watch and make sport of their death. What curse could not have been fitting for those who took it on their hands to beat and to bruise, to spit upon, and to deride, to judge, and sentence, and now crucify God the Son most holy? And yet Jesus was not common. And it was not curses that he brought down. But instead, to this loveless scene, he brought a word of love. Pure, merciful, love unknown. Forgiveness was his prayer. Forgiveness for them, for the Romans, for the Jews, for all those whose sins made it necessary to be there. He prayed for them, and the Father listened. The first word of Jesus from Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The word of the Lord. Matthew tells us that both of the criminals crucified alongside of Jesus started out heaping their insults upon him as well. But Luke's account, on the other hand, shows us that one of those two men had a change of heart. What could it be that led to that change? Well, God reveals to us in his word that it is through his word through the gospel of Jesus, that he works this kind of change in the hearts 
of sinful people. Perhaps it was the prayer of gospel forgiveness that the man had just heard Jesus pray moments before. Maybe a word of Jesus from a sermon he had preached that this man had witnessed and listened to sometime earlier a seed that had been planted that now at this moment sprouted and blossomed. Whatever the case may be, as he looked from his cross to this cross in the middle, he did not see upon that cross a fellow criminal, but his Messiah and Lord. There was no doubt in his mind that Jesus was not an imposter, and despite the fact that Jesus was on this cross next to him dying, he knew in his heart that Jesus would still that day take up his throne and reign. And so he prayed to him for mercy. The story of this criminal on the cross and his deathbed confession has brought comfort to Christians for the ages since. But consider with me for a moment today, friends, the comfort it must have brought to Jesus himself. Might there not have been a smile that flickered across our Savior's face, gritting through the pain and the suffering, as he found here in this unlikeliest of moments in this strange companion, a true disciple. When so many of the others had turned and left, here, this man, this confession, this was why Jesus had come. What a blessing to be able to share with him the truth that he longed to be able to share with all of them. The truth of paradise eternal as a gift freely given by grace. The second word of Jesus according to Luke chapter 23. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord.
every year, Mary and Joseph would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the Passover. But in time, Joseph died and was buried with his fathers. And Mary continued the tradition that she and her husband had had and continued to go to the festival. But this year was different. This year, things had taken a horrifying turn. Jesus, her son, God's son, whom he had given to her, had been arrested and tried and sentenced. And now he was dying on a cross in front of her. The words that the prophet had spoken to her in the temple so many years ago rang out in her ears, a sword will pierce your heart as well. But he who had loved her his entire life loved her to the very end. Jesus, her firstborn son who had become responsible for her and for her welfare with Joseph's death, sought even as he hung from the cross to make sure that Mary would continue to be loved, be cared for, and provided for. He called out to his disciple who was standing here, there and bid him to take her into his home to treat her as his own mother. And so even as he's dying... Our Savior Jesus continues to teach us by example the love and the responsibility that we have for our earthly families. But here, especially here on the cross, Jesus is far more for us than an example. He is the law of God fulfilled for you. Here in this final act of obedience to the Ten Commandments, Jesus honors his mother by providing for her in a way that so many of us have so often failed to do. His perfect record of obedience to God's commands was vital to his mission because it was his perfect righteousness that he would give to you in exchange for the guilt of your sins. The third word of Jesus, according to John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. The word of the Lord. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that after three hours on the cross at noon, and then until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. Luke 
gives us the reason why he says, for the sun stopped shining. Certainly, this is an act of God. But why? To what end? An exclamation point on that day to say, look, this was significant? Or perhaps a sign of his wrath and his anger directed toward all those who were guilty in what had taken place that day who were crucifying his son. But hadn't his son just prayed to him not to act in retribution and anger, but to forgive those who were crucifying him? As we look at this next word of Jesus from the cross, it seems to me more likely that the darkness that fell over the land that day was an act of the anger and wrath of God being carried out not against those who were crucifying Jesus, but against Jesus himself. Jesus on the cross was bearing in his body the guilt of all of our sins. And so God the Father, who from eternity had been one with Jesus, with God the Son, turns his face away from his beloved Son and forsakes him, removes from him the presence of his comfort, removes from him even the comfort of the light and warmth of the sun. On the cross, Jesus suffered hell for you and for me. This is the punishment that brought us peace. This is the debt that we owed. By his wounds, we are healed. Yet not alone the wounds in his hands and his feet from the nails that they pounded through, nor the wounds on his skull where they crushed the crown of thorns into his head, nor the lashes on his back or the beating he endured. But this wound, above all the others, rejection by God the Father, this wound he bore so that we might be saved. And through it all, he did not forsake the Father. Gone is the familiar Father with which Jesus usually addresses his prayers, but he cries out nonetheless to God, echoing the words of David which we heard from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer? Because of you. Because of me. Because of our sin. Brothers and sisters, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. The fourth word of Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. 
About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word of the Lord. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He had come. He had given his life. The ransom had been paid. Everything had been accomplished, and he knew it. But those whom he had come to save did not yet know it. And so before he died, Jesus knew there was one more sermon that needed to be preached. But his lips and mouth were dry. He was dehydrated and exhausted. And so in order that everything could be completed, he called out and announced his thirst. Wine vinegar mixed with water was a favorite drink of the Roman soldiers, and one of them, hearing his cry, in mercy lifts up to the one dying in mercy for him. A sponge soaked in wine vinegar and offers it to him to drink. Here, as we hear our Savior God cry out that he is thirsty, let us remember the significance of his physical humanity. That he who is God most holy made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of one of us, one of his servants, being made in human likeness. Why? For this. So that he could die so that he could die for you. The fifth word of Jesus from John chapter 19. After this, when he knew that all things necessary for the scripture to be fulfilled had now been accomplished, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. The word of the Lord. Having wet his tongue, he cried out in a loud voice for all who were present that day on that hill to hear. It is finished. This was his hour. He had come voluntarily. He had come with great purpose. He had come obediently. He had come to suffer. He had endured. And now he was triumphant. But that victory was not for him alone. 
It was for them. It was for you. And so gladly, he calls out with all of his remaining strength and announces, it is finished. And the words of his sermon that they would hear a few days later already rang true in that statement. Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. The sixth word of Jesus, according to John chapter 19. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of the Lord. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Bedtime prayers sung by children, prayed by children of the Heavenly Father have their roots going far, far back in time. 3,000 years ago, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 31, in which he wrote the words, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Over time, those words were worked into the bedtime prayers of Jewish children and Jewish adults alike, a prayer that, that devout Jews would pray every single night before they went to bed. Centuries later, Martin Luther would incorporate those same words into his evening bedtime prayer so that generations going forward could continue in that tradition. It's likely that Jesus prayed those words often as he lay his head down to go to sleep, knowing that his Father in heaven heard him and accepted that prayer. But how was it after his father had forsaken him on the cross that Jesus could come one more time with a loud cry and pray that prayer and know that as he prayed those words, his God, whom once again he calls out to as Father, would listen and hear and accept his prayer. It was because, as he had just announced, everything was finished. He had been obedient to the Father. He had borne our sins on the cross. He had suffered the punishment for them. And now it was finished. And so now he could pray intimately, trustingly, with full surrender, committing himself into the Father's hands and committing his spirit to him. And then... He breathed out his spirit and went to be with his Father. How is it that you and I 
sinful people can come before our God today, can gather tonight with our sinful children and dare to lift our voices up in prayer and ask that God, the Father in heaven, would guard and keep our souls through the night or if we should die, would graciously take them to his home in heaven. How can we pray such bold things and think for a moment that he would listen to us and accept them? Because of what Jesus finished for us on the cross. Because he was obedient in your place. He paid the punishment for your sins. And so the curtain of your sin, which prevented you from coming into God's most holy place and approaching him at his altar, has been removed. The curtain of your sin that kept your voice from coming to his ears has been torn in two. Through Jesus Christ, you and your children have access now to God the Father. The final word of Jesus from Luke chapter 23. It was now about noon and darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The word of the Lord.